Hi, I'm Tristan Miller, and you're listening to Positive and Negative, a podcast about the intersectionality between mental health and the arts. Today on the program, I speak with podcaster, writer, and actor Travis McElroy about his experience with ADD, depression, and narcissism disorder. Here he is talking about how he views mental health and personality. The ADD, I used to see it as like, you know, I'll put it this way. I used to see it as like a weight that I was dragging behind me or like a a cloak that, you know, I was wearing or something. And now I see that it is like, well, you know, some people are taller than others. Some people, you know, are genetically more inclined to like have better muscles. Some people or whatever. Right. And like for me, it's that right. That it's not. I mean, it's not that I am a human being saddled with this parasitic existence. It's a, just like, oh, this is this is a part of that, right? Like, some people's voices are high. Some people have ADD. This podcast is made possible by Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Tristan J. Miller to receive early access to the rest of this season, along with extended interviews of past guests, along with a bunch of other content about and for mental health. Our music is by Billy Conahan. It's To Be or Nah off of the album Leaping with Intent to Fly, available wherever fine music is sold. All right, let's get to this interview. Hey, Travis. Uh, thanks so Hello. much for doing this. Oh, thank <laughs> you for having me. Give me an opportunity to talk. This is what I live for. So you started off doing acting in theater. How did you get into that? Well, so it, that was, um, man... The honest answer <laughs> is it was very, it's a very middle child's kind of answer, which is like my older brother started doing community theater. And so I wanted to do it. Uh, I am very much like a joiner. I am very much a like, wait, if someone else is having fun with something, I want to have fun with it. Um, yeah. And, and so he, I believe his first thing was like, or the first thing I remember seeing him in was uh, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, he played Winnie the Pooh and I was like oh I want to do that and so I uh my first role was as the coachman in uh Cinderella with the single line uh you'll see worse than that if you're not out of there by midnight uh which I still (laughs) remember to this day you went to college for theater right correct I got, got my degree in acting from the University of Oklahoma and when you were in college, that's when your your mother became ill, right? Correct. It was like the beginning, I think, of my junior year or maybe mm-hmm. the summer before my junior year. She uh, was diagnosed with skin cancer with melanoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like a big, a big uh, like clump of it, big lump of it. But like they thought they got all of it. And she was yeah. in remission for a while. And like she went through chemotherapy uh-huh, and seemed to be good and then in the spring of my junior year uh like late spring so like uh late april i think my dad like called me was like hey uh it it is back it is very aggressive and like you need to come home now so uh my all of my professors were very 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 uh gracious and they either let me like just skip finals or like take them early or in some cases defer them until the next year 
um, one of my professors let me store all of the all of my furniture and stuff at the uh, warehouse where we kept all of the like props and <laughs> furniture and stuff for the theater. Um, and I I was back home uh, by like May like ninth. Uh, and on May 21st, she passed away. Wow. That's, yeah. it, that's uh, gotta be rough. Yeah. It was, uh, so a lot of people will think of like melanoma as being like, I, I can't do this easily true. You know, you get, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 you know, a little spot and you cut it out, but, uh, it mm-hmm. spread to her lymph node system. I uh, see. And so it spread to like all of her uh, vital organs and was very aggressive. Uh, yeah. And 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 uh, yeah, it was pretty quick. Yeah, that must have been um, really difficult. Only having a few days. What was that like going through that? Well, I'm. I mean, looking back on it now, it, I'm glad that I was able to get back, of course, and be there and like talk to her. And you know, it was one of those things where for a long time especially at that age i mean i was 21 is like i think that there was a lot of very reasonable denial mm-hmm. of just like until she actually died thinking like this will be fine this will be like yeah. that the, it will turn around they'll figure something out it will be okay um and you know justin griffin uh justin was still was living in huntington and Griffin was in Huntington at Marshall. Um, and so, like, they had been there with it the whole time. Um, and I mean, not to get, we're already pretty serious. Yeah. Uh, but, like, uh, I, so I, when I got there, like, uh, my dad had been doing, like, basically, like, staying at the hospital, like, 24 hours a day. And yeah. so, like, I made him go home and sleep at home a couple nights while I stayed overnight at the hospital uh, mm-hmm. with her. Um, and you know the weird. Uh, it feels so weird to like say that now because now I'm like 36 and like an actual full blown adult, and I felt mm-hmm. like such an adult at that point. Sure. And like I was like, mm, this needs done. And now I look, I'm like, dude, you're 21. What? Like yeah. that's so heavy for you, you poor bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that absolutely tracks. And I would imagine that that would have affected your like your mood and your way of thinking moving forward for a very long time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 the the metaphor that I've often used, like, to describe, like, that kind of impact on me was, like, especially something like that happening at 21 is, like, you, you think in your life, like, there are these constants, you know? Like, at that point, I had not suffered any kind of serious loss like that. Mm-hmm. And so you, so you just get used to like, well, this will always be there. This will always be there. Like this will always be there. The, and so like her dying was like this, like, whoa, everything is in play. Everything, nothing is constant. And like, it, it was very much this like, I don't know what I'm doing. And like, I think it's a, a strong combination of what a lot of people that plus what a lot of people go through when they graduate college, which is like, so what now? Yeah. And it was that feeling of so what now mixed with and what does it matter? Mm-hmm. And like, so I, I after that spent quite a few years, like I would say more or less uh drifting and not just like drifting like job to job or whatever but just like i don't i don't know what does any of it matter um 
because the thing is, I so since I was very young, man, this is a heavy show. Thanks for having me on. No, <laughs> uh, since I was very very young, I I was terrified. Like, um, uh, existential dread was like a mm-hmm. very real thing to me before I ever knew like what the term like triggering meant. It was mm-hmm. like very triggering for me. Um, I remember once like at a stand up comedy show. And the the comic like made a joke about dying, mm-hmm. and I like started to have a like physical reaction to like I had to leave the theater and like sit in the lobby for a second and just like breathe. Yeah. Um, and so then that that being like at any time I could die, I could die in my sleep. Like anyone I know could die from something like that was very very. Uh, on unsettling uh, mm-hmm. to, to put it lightly and made it kind of hard to think long term about like goals and building a life and that kind of thing uh yeah so that's where i was from like 21 to basically like 25 all right i mean that all seems like a reasonable response yeah yeah i mean the most unreasonable part of it the thing that i look back and kind of wish i i had done the only thing i wish I had done differently because, you know, everyone processes stuff like that on their own. And, you know, it is what it is. And everyone's process is different. I I was trying really hard to, quote, get over it in yeah. such a way that it took me a really long time to actually deal with what I was feeling and what I was going through. Because there was this, like, frustration of, like, I don't I want to move past my mom dying. Yeah. Like, like that I, I was like, I want to be over it i want to seem fine i want to be fine like i remember in college like two of my very best friends like kind of sitting me down at one point and saying like hey if you want to talk about this we can and if you want to ignore it we can do that too but like you're making jokes about the fact that your mom died and it makes everyone uncomfortable and we don't know how to be friends with you. We don't know how to help you. We don't know what you need. Because yeah. I was trying to be like, this is fine. I, yeah, I'd like, like mm-hmm. see, it doesn't even bother me. I, I remember like, yeah. your mom, my mom. <laughs> and it was like, that's like, you know, that kind of thing was like, that was not okay. And I just wanted to be fine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that was the yeah. kind of thing. If I could go back, that would be like the one thing that I would kind of talk to my younger self about and be like, hey, it is completely understandable that you are feeling this way you are not weird for being sad like this is not you are not like broken because you are are in grief right this is not like an injury that you need to heal from and like you know everything this is that i think that would be the difference right yeah it's like that something like that happening i think at the time i was looking at like a cut you would receive and then mm-hmm. be like why am i still bleeding right sure. right or instead it's actually like a major like bone breaking or like your hip shattering or something and it's like you need to learn to walk again yeah. and like you may always limp right or it's like learning to cope with like this different scenario that you're in so it's not like why aren't i back to where i was before this it's more like well everything is going to be different from now on and i kind of have to learn how to live with what it's like now right and Mm -hmm. i would say i i i mean you know the the reality is i'm still 
to some degree grieving. I mean, I'll never not miss my mom. I'll never not be, you know, have that be a part of my existence. But I would say that it was probably, let's say, if that was 21, uh, probably until I was like 32 or 33 before I really like was, I think I had dealt with it. And that was also huh, unironically when both my daughter was born and I started <laughs> therapy. Yeah. Coincidental. Yeah. Uh, do you think that the level like you you told that story about being triggered by something a com mm -hmm. comedian said. Do you think that experience and similar experiences informed how you approach comedy now? I mean, to a certain degree. Right. Because, like, I think that. You know, it, uh, I think that long before that, I had already developed that sense of like not just knowing your audience, but not assuming anything about your audience and not like mm -hmm. assuming anything's fine. I mean, I I, ugh, I I was listening to or watching a documentary the other day and like it was a comedian on it said something like, you know, just nothing sacred. But I want to be like, that's not true. <laughs> that's just yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> and you're a jerk. Um, And like, I think that the I I. I don't know. The, the thing is, is, like, I consider myself pretty irreverent and I consider myself like, like silly. And I, you know, not make fun, like belittle things, but like make mm -hmm. fun out of stuff, I guess would be a better yeah. way to put it. But I still know that there's stuff that's like, that's not funny to make fun of. Like, that is a serious thing that people are dealing with. And, you know, so like, I don't know. I I think that I was already at that point before I even kind of understood that. I, I mean, I wasn't always. I mean, speaking of friends mm. confronting me about things, um, I, I had a friend after college um, sit me down. I was about 23 or 24, uh, sit me down and say like, hey, just so you know, I know that you are a good guy, but like all of my friends, when they meet you for the first time, kind of think you're an asshole <laughs> um and yeah. once they get to know you they you. know that you're like joking and everything but some of them like don't want to take the time to get to know you and maybe you need mm -hmm. to like change the weight and i was like what i had no idea i was like I, but i'm very nice and he was like well <laughs> yeah but like your kind of first impulse is to like make fun of people and like kind of be sarcastic and so people kind of think you're a jerk and I was like, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> and so like that kind of from that point on, like I started working really hard to be like, you know, maybe let's not jump to making fun of somebody or giving somebody a hard time, razzing them, giving them yeah, the business. Them. Right. Because that's what I would always think of like, oh, I'm just like giving them a hard time, you know, like buddies mm -hmm. do. And it's like, well, you don't know them. You don't yeah. know like what they're going like. It, not only do you not know what they're going through, but like you literally don't know them. You are giving yeah. this person a hard time, like after meeting them 10 minutes ago and you just seem like a jerk. You seem like a bully. And yeah. at the time I was just like, but this is how you play. You know, this is like what you do. And do you think that comes from being the brothers, you know, and specifically a middle child? Um, I think it was more of like my, my friends in college. Like I, I, I came out of, so the, the theater department at OU was really, really like tight knit. We like, we hung out, we had parties five nights a week on average. Sure. Um, like we would take like Mondays and Tuesdays off, I guess, for recovery. 
so like we all hang out all the time and like it was the kind of thing where like in the building everyone was around all the time and especially like the way that the department worked right you would start our freshman class was always bigger and then you would go through and at the end of each year like audition to move into the next season mm-hmm. like it'd be like you would have like an audition at the end of your freshman year to see if you would be a sophomore in the acting program and then that would continue on so by the time you got to your senior year it was like a much smaller denser you know group that had spent all this time together and done all these shows together and so like by the end of my time at school like we just all knew each other really really well and it was a really insular group and because of that we I, I think I'd just gotten used to like knowing everybody so well and also I was just kind of a jerk like <laughs> yeah. the thing is is that man I could I could dance around it but like I was just kind of a jerk I was insecure and like I I was so afraid of being made fun of that like I took on this like jerk attitude where like I made fun of other people. Now I don't think I was trying to be mean. I think I was just trying to seem cool. Um yeah. you know, which I think is in many ways just as bad. Uh, like I wanted <laughs> to seem cool, so I made fun of other people and that sounds pretty mean to me. Um yeah. and I I think that that was a lot of what it was is like I just wanted I wanted to feel cool because I'd been so insecure for so long uh like growing up that it was like Ah, now I don't feel insecure anymore. I feel confident. And that confidence Mm -hmm. was completely unearned and mostly taken by like, you know, making others feel insecure. And that made me feel cool. And it's it's not great. It was just not a good cycle to be in. And then that is where like, and I I will say his name because I love him very much. And it's my friend Bradbury. And so when he was like, hey, people think you are a jerk. This was coming yeah. from this human being that I love very much that like also to me was the epitome of like everybody loved him with and loves him still without him having to do anything like he was not yeah. working at it. He was not making people. He does not make people like he just is great and he's fun to be around and people like making him happy because he makes them happy, all that stuff. And so he modeled for me this behavior of like how you can be like a very popular very beloved person without taking that at the expense of others without it being Mm -hmm. about like people like me because they don't like them right it was just like no he's just fun to be like people just (laughs) gravitate towards him and he is a pleasure to be around still is to this day still one of my best friends you mentioned earlier that you kind of felt this existential dread very early on and you mentioned feeling insecure early on where do you when did that start manifesting itself and where do you think it comes from um well i remember very very clearly my my second grade year (laughs) my second grade year was the same year i got diagnosed with add i started Mm -hmm. wearing glasses i started doing community theater I started taking speech therapy at school. I started taking my Ritalin at school, which I was very self-conscious about. Uh, And I started doing the talented and gifted smart kids program at school. And it was just this like, (sighs) yeah, it was just like, hey, second grade. Hey, you're a nerd. Hey, (laughs) guess what? You're a dork now. Um, And I I think I was like really self-conscious about that. I mean, I'll... 
you know, here's the, the truth of the matter is, is it's not just one thing. Like, yeah. I remember I, I've always had a super overactive imagination. And I think part of that is to do with ADD. And part of it is just like, you know, me and how my brain works. And so, like, a lot of it was like my brain would get spun up on thinking about, like, death and what happens and what is the deal and what is. And, like, the thing is, is there is no solution to that. And that mm-hmm. is really, really difficult. Even now as a full grown, you know, I hope full grown. I hope I don't get any <laughs> taller. Uh, none of my clothes would fit a 36 year old person is like I will get I, occasionally that same like thought pops up of like but what happens and like there's not an end to that right so you, I would just spiral into that thought process and it would be like I'd think about it like and not sleep and like you know everything because like I was just trying to figure out yeah, but, like, what's it like? What is death like? What happens? And, like, I couldn't ever figure it out. And so I I have never thought about it before. I don't really think, like, that feeling of existential dread was, like, connected with, like, the insignificance of, of like, I'm I'm feeling insecure and everything. I mean, probably it was. Probably there was some connection of it. But really the, like, insecurity was just more like, Maybe it's, it stems too from the like uh, overactive imagination. Is I think I just judged myself really, really harshly for those things, and so like I remember as a kid always having this thing where like if somebody was like whispering to each other behind me and laughing, I just assumed it was about me. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that part of that is like you know the uh, you know the lack of self confidence and overactive imagination of just like oh if you're giggling then it's probably about me. That said, there were some other concrete moments where I remember like asking this girl to be my girlfriend in middle school or whatever, and like two days later she called me and quote unquote broke up with me because her friend said I was a dork and so she shouldn't <laughs> date me. Um, yeah. Man, that impacted me so hard at like thirteen, and now I'm like, why was I? like interested in the person at all what i like i did i know anything about her probably not i don't even know what's happening why did i do that yeah uh that that absolutely makes sense and it actually leads into my next uh, question for you You, you've mentioned being in therapy for basically for narcissism right and part of being insecure like for example the whispering behind uh you it's still self-focused, um, you know, and I would love to hear a little bit about your experience with the the therapy you're going through and also how it relates to anxieties and so forth. Yeah. So, I, I mean, a lot of it. So the, the narcissism thing is like it's it's a very uh, like a defensive kind of thing is how mm-hmm. it developed. Of just like I, I'm going to be my own champion and like tell myself how great I am. And when it first started, like it was very much not me thinking I was the best, but like saying it over and over and acting like I was and like kind of telling myself that I was great and, you know, better than other people. And if someone didn't like me, it was some fault with them that like they couldn't deal with it or worse, if someone didn't like me why didn't they like me and there must be something wrong with them or I could Mm -hmm. convince them otherwise. And it really bothered me to think that there was anyone out there who didn't like, I used to say, uh, and I do not feel this way anymore, but I used to say like, if I die, my goal is that when I die, no one is glad I'm dead. 
that like and and the thing is is about that is like at first blush that doesn't seem that bad a thing but then to think like you're spending a lot of energy to make sure that people like you and why are you worried mm-hmm. about that as a goal instead yeah. of just like making sure that people like being around you while you're alive um yeah but so it you don't became, even get to see the reward of that right yeah who cares if somebody like it's like oh good like who cares right yeah, like yeah. They, I'm not that that's a goal or what I'm not yeah. trying to piss people <laughs> off but it's just this idea of like okay yeah they might I don't know man yeah, just live just your life and do your best but and so I got really in my head about that build up and that build up and then at some point it kind of transitioned into like the legitimate like thinking of myself as like really only at any given moment like thinking about my immediate like surroundings as existence and like Mm -hmm. I I would have to work to remember that other people's lives were happening when I was not around like I remember Michael Bradbury who I have already gone on and on about but like I remember once when I was like 24 finding out that he had had like friends over the night before and had not invited me and Mm -hmm. I was in rate like it was not just like oh i'm hurt that i wasn't invited it was like impossible for me to consider that it that it was not on purpose that it was like surely like you made the decision that i would not be there like it was yeah. impossible for me to even consider that he had not thought about me in mm-hmm. relation to it like you had people over and specifically didn't include me it was the only way that i could process it And like that kind of thing is unhealthy. But I also think that there's a certain amount of like being afraid to the level that I was of like death is incredibly narcissistic because really what it boiled down to for me was like I could not imagine the world continuing without me is really Mm -hmm. what it boiled. It was like I, I, I could not contemplate things going on without me being there and it was also like when you know it's if it feels weird to say now because i i have gotten to be in in like a movie and i've gotten to be on tv shows and stuff but this was like back when i was like 23 and like part of my depression was like why am i not in movies and on TV shows. And the answer was, I was not working towards this thing. I was not doing the work that one needs to do. But I'm sitting yeah. there at Best Buy in Huntington, West Virginia, like stocking <laughs> CDs or whatever and thinking like, why are people not oh. like inviting me to come on a movie sets and be in movies? This is ridiculous. Oh, that just hit me right where I live. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was this feeling of like this depression that like I... I I did not think of it as like, well, if I want those things, I need to put the work in and do the work to get those things. It was like, those things should be happening to me and they are not. And so Mm -hmm. something is wrong. And like, there was a lot around that and just a lot of like, also like remembering that other people's experiences mattered as much, if not sometimes more than my own was Mm -hmm. like really, really difficult. Like, was a thing that took a long long time for me to start to wrap my head around of just like well yeah but like the thing I want to do is interesting or fun or better or good and everyone will have a good time if we do it and it's like yeah but everyone doesn't want to do that thing like well 
but why not? Because it will be good and fun and is like, yes, but mm-hmm. other people have other things they want to do. I'm like, yes, but that doesn't make any <laughs> sense because the thing I have decided will be good and fun. And now I'm very angry and frustrated that everyone is not seeing that I am right. Yeah. Was that difficult to manage like an improv podcast with that attitude? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still work on it now over a decade into doing my brother, my brother and me with Justin and Griffin. But like I will. And for some reason, God bless it. I, I, <laughs> his, his, poor Justin. He's the one that I do it to the most. I'm just like, oh, I see where this joke is heading, and I will say his punchline. Oh, and like, yeah. oh, oh, and not like I'm stealing your punchline, but just like, oh, I see your heading, and I'm agreeing with you. It's like, okay, but mm-hmm. I, but that was my punchline. Or like, he'll start, he'll set up a like, you know, bit of just like, here is the prompt, and I'll say, or here's another thing that could happen. And he's like, yeah, or we could do the <laughs> thing that the I just thing. said and explore the thing. And it's like a thing that I actively work on and it's and it's not malicious, but it's just like I'm so excited to play that I am not listening to sure. you at all. Yeah. And I think that I, I took some improv classes and stuff in when I lived in L.A. And I do think that to a certain degree, there are lots of different kind of improv players and that in some cases being a very confident like. I will step off the wall first. I will initiate the mm-hmm. scene is a good role to fill. Right. But the problem is, is like when you get into a well-worked, well-oiled machine kind of team, you don't need, you should not be the first off the wall every time. Right. Yeah. Because then it's like, okay, well at this point we should all be carrying our own weight and all be doing our own thing. And you coming off the wall first every time is really sending the message to your teammates of I don't think you could carry your own way. Right. And like that thing of like, I, I'm, I'm, I do not need to make sure that this is funny. Right. Everybody is Mm -hmm. doing that and it is not my job to save it. And everything I'm bringing is not the best. Right. Like, but that's the thing is like, I'll be sitting there thinking, ah, this joke that I just thought of is so funny to me that everyone will be welcome that I did it. They'll be so grateful <laughs> and happy that I tell the joke. They won't mind that I interrupt them. And that yeah. is not true. That is just not the case. And like, that's the thing is, is like oftentimes with like a comedy and improv and just working together as like storytellers or any kind of cooperative environment, even if it's not working together, even if it's just like hanging out with friends is that oftentimes I think it's really easy to, get so caught up in trying to achieve an end result that you like ignore the fact that the process matters too. Like mm-hmm. I, I get into this, like hanging out with friends. This is another thing that friends had to like kind of confront me about is that I would one up stories left and right. Like if somebody said a story, mm-hmm. I'd be like, Oh, and you know what that reminds me of? Here's my story now. Okay. And it's like, was my story funny? Yeah, it's a good story, but in doing it, I was not necessarily improving the experience for everyone around me just because the thing I was delivering was high quality, right? Because yeah. the, it is not about how funny the moment can be and how hard someone's laughing. It's just that they're enjoying being there together. And that to me took forever for me to learn. 
of just like it is not about how much funny or good times or laughs or smiles or whatever we can squeeze in and that makes the moment funny it is like how comfortable we all were like sitting together that's the thing is like a thing i kind of realized about myself fairly i'd say late in life god i hope i have so much more life (laughs) oh boy but like this idea of someone could spend an hour with me enjoy the hell out of it and walk away thinking i don't need to do that again right (laughs) like because the thing is is like oh travis was so funny and it was so much fun talking to him but that was exhausting or like I, I, it's like going to see a movie, right? And being like, I love that movie. And you never watch it again, right? Yeah. Versus like someone hanging out with you and being like, I had such a good time being with them. I cannot wait to do that again. Yeah. Right. And so I was just trying to be the funniest and the best and most enjoyable that I was not focusing on making everybody actually just like enjoy themselves. I was trying so hard to be, you know, like Oscar Wilde standing in front of the crowd <laughs> delivering witty bonbons that every that it was like, hey, just let everybody just relax and have a good time. And if there's a moment of silence, that's fine. And, you know, yeah. if there's a lull in the conversation, that's fine. And like as long as everybody's having a good time, they're enjoying being together. Yeah. Do you think the ADD helps or hinders uh, being in an improv comedy podcast? Because, you know. You're quick, but are I think you focused? It, I think it helps. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it, yes and no, right? Like yeah, one of yeah. the things that I also now kind of champion is like the ADD. I used to see it as like, you know, I'll put it this way. I used to see it as like a weight that I was dragging behind me or like sure. a, a cloak that, you know, I was wearing or something. And now I see that it is like. Well, you know, some people are taller than others. Some people, you know, I, yeah. are genetically more inclined to, like, have better muscles. Some people or whatever, right? And, like, for me, it's that, right? That it's not, I may, it's not that I am a human being saddled with this parasitic <laughs> existence. It's a, just like, oh, this is this is a part of that, right? Like, some people's yeah. voices are high. Some people have ADD. And, yeah. like, so I think one of the big positives is... Uh, I'm able to like talk faster than I think, which can like really like help me get out of my own way. And like a lot of the times I'll make a joke or like get to something where it's like when I opened my mouth to talk, I didn't know what I was going to say. I wasn't waiting to sure. find out like I wasn't waiting to have a great idea. I just kind of started talking and halfway through it occurred to me what the punchline was. And those are some of my like favorite jokes i've ever made and everything the other side of that is sometimes i will be so caught up in like my brain kind of listening that i will not hear what the person just said right or and or i will be so caught up thinking about what's an interesting thing i could say that like i'm not playing as well in in the space you know so there's mm-hmm. i think there's positives and negatives i think you know if if we're thinking about it in terms of dungeons and dragons which now i have a hard time not doing <laughs> i'm a great tank you know i mean i charge forward and i am really good at keeping the momentum moving forward but i am not like a good caster i just am not i can't see the whole field all at once 
And so I'm just not good at like saying, I'll tell you exactly what we need right here. This pinpoint accurate witticism. But I think a lot of that is like the reason Justin Griffin and I are so good together is I think we all have different skill sets. How do you like circumvent basically your own personality uh, getting in the way of good storytelling and good comedy? Well, I mean, I don't think you should like that's that's the thing is like the thing i used to worry about right is mm-hmm. the thing i used to like when like add for example right yeah I, I for a long time refused to kind of see it as part of my personality and would mm-hmm. see it as like a thing that got in the way of my personality but that's absolutely ridiculous like our personalities <laughs> are built from all the things put together that we've experienced so like yeah that it wasn't obstructing who I was informing it and so like I think Mm. that that's the other thing is when we started doing my brother my brother and me it would like really really bug me if I saw anybody say something like I just don't think Travis is that funny or like uh Travis is the not funny one right and then like after I was like you know what I don't really care that that like it took a long time to get there like it took what day is it? It took until yesterday. <laughs> no, but it took a long time to get to like there are people who think I am funny and there are people who I make happy and there are people that the things I say and do and, you know, the stories I tell and the jokes I make or whatever make them happy. And then there are people who, who aren't and don't. And like, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if if I say something that they don't think is funny and then Justin says something and they do think it's funny, then we have done our job. Like, it's like, OK, cool. <laughs> yeah. You enjoyed some part of the show. Yeah. You know, it's like they, it, I it's so weird. Like. Everybody is OK with themselves, like knowing that they will have favorites and not favorites out of any group. Mm-hmm. But to be on the receiving end of it is so weird. Because then you're like, but, but I, uh, huh. but the thing is, is like we can't like everybody equally, and everyone isn't yeah. going to like you equally. And so this idea of, you know, I I just don't chase that anymore. Um, like, if I were a younger man and I saw somebody <laughs> say, I just don't think Travis is that funny. My my desire would be to respond to them like, why not? <laughs> like as if yeah. it was like I'll, I'll do whatever just say it yeah yeah and yeah. now it's just like okay cool like don't then don't i guess just tune out one third of the show i don't know what to tell you <laughs> sure uh has has your mental health ever like gotten in the way of making anything oh absolutely you- i mean we, we, not it, I don't think I knew it for a long time. Um, I mean, okay, so it ranges, right, from, like, my ADD um, before I, like, learned my own kind of creativity patterns with it. Like, before I learned how I operate, I would be like, I can't write. I can't do anything, right? And I would sit down to write and nothing would come out. Or I'd sit down to write and a lot would come out. And then I'd go back and look at it an hour later and be like, this is all garbage and delete it. Right. And like, that was it for a long time. It's like, I couldn't write anything without second guessing myself. And so like, I would write, you know, a thousand words of something and then be like, this is nothing and never touch it again. Or 
um, before I knew that I uh, am prone to depressive episodes, like I'd be sitting there, I'm like, I don't feel like doing anything. I cannot make myself work. And, you know, that there were times like we, we have just, especially in the last, you know, six months, gone to record episodes of My Brother, My Brother and Me or Adventure Zone and been like, I, I can't. I did that recently. There was like, we were supposed to record an adventure zone. It was like, you know, we do them like 10 days before they go out. And I was like, I can't, I like, I've been trying to write it and I can't, and I don't mm-hmm. feel like record like, and it wasn't because something happened, you know, I was just in a depressive episode and I was like, I cannot make myself sit down and like write this. I don't have anything. And so like Justin and Griffin Tower were like, yep, absolutely. Don't worry about it. And then we picked it back up four days later and it was great. Right. I mm-hmm. sat down and I wrote it. It was fine. Um, but a lot of like now being able to be a functioning creative person, a functioning creator was being able to put a name to a lot of what I was feeling and being able to say like, oh, this is why that it like, you know, for example, um, when I was be from first grade through college, I was always the person who, if you said you have a month to work on this, I would do it the night before I was due. Without yeah. fail, you know, and it was like I and so I would I remember being like so frustrated myself, like, why did I do that? Right. But the thing is, is like sometimes that frustration would then mean I just didn't do it at all. And that was way <laughs> worse. Um, yeah. And so I wish that I could go back in time to then and tell myself what I know now, which is like I know that about myself. And so I keep the day before any big thing is due empty. Mm-hmm. And I do the work then. And that's when I like to do the work. And that's when the work gets done well. And that's when I'm most creative. And like I've given myself time to think about it. And I took the pressure off. And I didn't make myself mm-hmm. feel bad about it. I just did a, a live stream D&D session. And like we were supposed to, I think, originally do it in like May. And we ended up delaying it. And I still wrote it the day before in like July. <laughs> And it's like, man, I had so long to write it and I still work and it went great. Like it was still a completely justifiable way to work. It was just the way that I work as I think that there I used to feel this way of like, oh, no, I'm doing it wrong because this isn't the way I'm supposed to do it. I'm supposed to do it this better way. And instead now it's like, no, there. It, this is the best way for me because this way gets results and it's working. I think as long as it's working, right, don't like I had a friend in college who would put things off till the night before and say like, well, I'm just going to do an all nighter. And then he would get distracted by everything and not finish it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that system doesn't work. <laughs> that system isn't <laughs> working for you, clearly, because you didn't you're not finishing these projects. So like that system doesn't work. But if you pulled an all nighter the night before everything and you're getting straight A's, hey, guess what? It's working yeah. for you. That's a great system for you. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is like my system was working for me, but I still was like judging myself for it because this feeling of like, oh, but I, the way I should be doing it is this. But I was like a National Merit Scholar and like, you know, graduating like with honors and stuff. And still I was like sitting there going, but I'm not, but I'm doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. This is the way I should be doing it. Sure, sure. Um, you're you do a lot of stuff. Yeah, too much. Too say. much. Do you think you're a workaholic? Um, no, <laughs> I don't like working. I like doing stuff that's fun. And <laughs> well, the thi- that I like I like creating is the thing. Okay. It's like I I I would say the word I would use is impulsive. 
Um, okay. It's like I, I will have an idea for something and I'll do it. But yeah. the thing is, is like when, if something is work, I don't like I don't do it. I, I, like, yeah. I will put it off and put it off and put it off. And the thing is, it's just like I'm, I really love the job that I have now. So to answer your question. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. But I don't think in the in like a, a traditional sense, like I think people would think of. It's just like I I so there is a um there is a kind of uh thing in ADD that some people display. It's called hyperfocus. Yes. Where it's like a lot of people consider ADD to be like, oh squirrel. But really it's like there's a lot of different things going on there. And sometimes it's like, oh, you get caught up in something and my parents always called it like one track mind it's like yeah. i would get onto an idea i'm like oh i'm gonna like i remember i worked at best buy and i in many ways hated working at best buy but when i was i was a a, a supervisor of like the merch department and i would like be sitting there like not at work like having ideas for things because like I couldn't stop myself and like I'd be mm-hmm. emailing my boss and she's like, you're not at work. Stop <laughs> doing work. You're not allowed to do work when you're not at work. And I was like, yeah. I know, but I can't. And that's the thing is I hated it, but I still would do it, you know? And it's like, because like, that's just how my brain worked. And like when I worked at the Shakespeare company, as technical director, I would sometimes put in like hundred hour weeks and I was exhausted and it was very frustrating and I hated that I had to do that much work. But I would like have a to-do list and I'd have projects to do and like finishing stuff made me happy. That said, then I'd finish like building those sets, right? And the show would open and then it would be like, well, I, I should clean the, the, like I should clean the shop now, but I don't want to. So I just wouldn't do it. So it wasn't like, I wasn't like working all the time nonstop. I just love to work so much. It would be mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm I'm in it now. I'm doing it now. I'm in the middle of it. I'm gonna finish this. I'm not gonna stop till I'm done. Okay, I'm done now. Now I'm gonna stop. <laughs> and I'd be <laughs> like, well, now I don't want to do it anymore. And, and so mm-hmm. like that was one of the things I, I really loved about working at the theater is like when you when I worked at Best Buy, there would be whole days where it's like I would do the to-do list and check everything off, and then the next day I'd do it all again. Mm-hmm. And that kind of monotony was not, I hated it so much. Yeah. But when I was building sets, it would be like, this wall is done. Look at that wall. It is done. I can mark that off the list and I never have to build that <laughs> wall again. This chair is done. I don't have to build this chair again. And that was like so satisfying to me. And I think it's one of the things that I really like now about like podcasting and the job I get to do is it is all project to project to project. Even like individual episodes are different every time. And so everything is like that is done. That is an episode in the can. I don't have to record that episode again. That Oh, that is a chapter of the Adventure Zone graphic novel done. I don't have to do that again, right? It is all very, like, creative projects are inherently one-time projects that when they're done, they're done. And that is very satisfying, too. When you were on tour, did that exacerbate any of your mental health uh, conditions? Um, or did it make things better? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the major thing being, like, the nature of our show's whether it's Schmanners or my brother, my brother, me, or Adventure Zone, they're all, well, Schmanners is, I guess, a little bit better because it's, like, researched. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Adventure Zone, but Adventure Zone, my brother, my brother, me, are, like, made up on the spot. Yeah. Whole cloth. Yeah. Um. Well, even that. Okay. My brother, my brother, <laughs> me, is 100% made up on the spot from questions and stuff. And the points don't matter. And the points don't matter. Adventure Zone, 
you know, you, uh, the DM or the GM like have a structure, right? But we're still playing it and making it up as we go. Schmanners is researched, but the interaction is made up as we go. It is yeah. not like rehearsed in any way, I guess is the way to say it. So every time we do a show, it is draining, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like where especially my brother, my brother and me, but like all of them is you go out on stage, you're like, I have no idea how this is going to go. <laughs> I have no like yeah. my brother. It, they have mostly gone well, but there's always the possibility that we get out there and it's like everything is a clunker. Every like yeah. nothing lands. The show grinds to a halt. Everyone's booing and th- like, <laughs> you know, and I think that that is not the normal thing. Like if you're a band, right, you have a set yeah. list, you have songs that you can rehearse and be like, at the very least, like our sound might go down or you might blow, you know, might forget the chorus of a song or whatever, but you won't suddenly forget how to play all your songs. <laughs> like it won't be like, what? How, how does this one go? I don't know. And so you know even after just like three days it's very exhausting and yeah um so like it's it's the kind of thing where it's like i wish we could do like three week world tour and stuff but like i just do not know if we'd be able to just like Mm -hmm. physically i don't think that would be possible Mm -hmm. does the 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 term you know parasocial uh, relationship is going on around a lot um do the does rather does the relationship you have with your audience impact your mental health one way or the other is it uh, draining yes and no I, so the answer is <laughs> a complicated one okay um it, that is something that i i discuss in therapy a lot is mm-hmm. like for a while, one of the problems with like working from home and working for yourself and being a like creator in a creative position is a lot of my interaction happens like online now. And like I am making a product for an audience uh, and it's there's a lot of like face to face, you know, interaction there. And the thing is my audience is great. I mean, like Mm -hmm. they're very supportive and lovely. And I'm not just saying that because that's the cool thing to say. They are great. (laughs) And I like them. And when I've interacted with like listeners and stuff at at conventions and live shows, it's always been wonderful. But the, the downside, the thing that kind of snuck up on me is I, for a while was like basing my, uh, self, worth image my my opinion of myself off of all of those people saying nice things about me and talking about how great I was and how much the thing meant to them all of that and if you do that you also then leave yourself open to taking in the negative stuff as well so even people who were not trying to be mean to me or whatever they like like I said earlier they're like Travis isn't that funny Right. Mm-hmm. Like that really like I was like, but I believed this person when they said I was great. So if I believe them when they said I was great, I have to believe them when they say I'm not yeah. funny. Oh, no, I'm not funny. And so the thing that I have been working on in therapy is like having not not that being my only source of uh, self-judgment. 
my having my own self opinion and also like spending time with friends and spending time with family and like not basing my self-worth over whether my audience likes me or not. Now that's not to say that it's not important to me. Like I, I, I'm not going to like disregard their feelings and start being an asshole to them because what they think (laughs) doesn't matter. (laughs) I'm great. Like that's, that's the thing that the catch 22 that I've been working on in therapy is like how to like work on the narcissism without losing confidence altogether without it being like well i need to like basically that it is not about turning off the voice in my head saying you're great it is just like toning it down Mm -hmm. to a normal confidence level and while still leaving myself open to the possibility that there are things that i could improve and work on and that there are that i'm not perfect and that I am not the end all be all most important person existing in the planet right now. <laughs> like without then going too far the other way and being like, I'm worthless and terrible. And I only derive worth from whether or not other people like me. Like the, the, it, it's trying to find a balance to that. That is like the thing that I'm like working towards pretty much constantly is like trying to not lose my own sense of self-worth while also leaving myself open to input from others and the experience of others. It's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's really hard for me. Um, but uh, having a kid helps a lot because like here is this human being uh, whose experience matters so much more than my own to me, yeah. um, <laughs> both because it just does and because it kind of has to. It's like all of her emotions are like right at the surface all the time. Mm -hmm. And so like the idea of like, okay, you know what? I want to watch Floor is Lava or whatever. And she wants to watch Fancy Nancy. And you know what? I don't really like I'm fine (laughs) if I don't watch Floor is Lava. (laughs) But if she doesn't watch Fancy Nancy, that's a thing. So we're going to watch Fancy Nancy. Right. And like that kind of thing is a good object lesson about like how much do I actually care about this thing versus how much someone else cares about this thing? And like, how much can their experience be improved if I give a little bit? And it's like, that kind of stuff really helps a lot. You're clearly killing it. Not your children, but you're, you're clearly killing. It's just that I'm the best. I'm just the best dad in the world. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Here's the thing though. This is the thing about narcissism. And the reason that I think many people will be like, you're not really narcissistic. I said that. I mean it is the thing. Like I said it like a joke, right? I said it joking. Yeah, yeah. But if I'm being honest with myself, I do kind of think I am the best dad. Like if I'm really in touch with myself, that <laughs> yeah. is not just an off the cuff joke. Like I said it jokingly and then kind of checked in with myself. I'm like, well, I do kind of feel that way. I do yeah. kind of feel like I am nailing it. I'm not saying like I'm a perfect dad, but I think every dad should kind of strive to be like me. <laughs> You yeah, know, it's sure. like that, that that kind of thing. I'm just like, huh, oh, I square. really meant that, right? Uh, just yeah. being self-aware enough to be like, oh, boy, that was a joke I made. But also, if I'm being honest, I kind of feel that way. And that's not mm-hmm. great. Yeah. I mean, I, but I'm confident. I'm confident mm-hmm. in my parenting. And that is good. I'm working yeah. hard at it. I do think I'm a good dad. But being able to temper that with like, but am I perfect at it? No, it's, it's a whole yeah. thing. It's a battle. Yeah. You're really positive online. Um, is it hard to be positive online when you're not feeling positive yourself? And how exactly do you exactly the that? opposite? 
That is yeah. the 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 my dirty little secret is that a lot of that positivity is when I am at my kind of most down. It's like that's when it's like I feel bad. And rather than seeking external validation to make myself feel better, I -hmm. will project into the world the positivity that I wish I felt and see the impact that that has on other people. And knowing that me projecting positivity outward improves other people's like lives makes me feel better. So rather than going online and saying, hey, I feel bad to cheer me up. Mm-hmm. Right. And putting the emotional labor on other people. I I have found that I am cheered up by cheering up other people, um, mm-hmm. which is a thing that has kind of grown for me. It, it started because like I someone would say something shitty about me online and I would want to go and like point people towards them and say, yell at this person or like go and get into an argument with them or whatever. And that was so bad. Like it was like it was worse. And I'm not saying bad, like morally, though, at times, but more just like it didn't make me feel better. Yeah. But if I went online and said, hey, I just want everyone to know how much I appreciate them, which is the thing I sincerely mean, like I'm not Mm -hmm. lying, but I would say like it just I want you to know that I think you are great. And then I would see them be like, I really needed this Think Like that did Mm -hmm. more for me than than anything right online Mm -hmm. and so that's the thing is like it's uh it is a meditation style of like i take in negativity and i send out positivity and it i man it really has an impact it's a thing of just like trying to make yourself feel better trying to make other people make you feel better i think can be a a losing battle but like making other people feel better will really help make you feel better. Do you, what would your biggest piece of advice for someone who's going into a creative field and who is navigating similar situations to you be? I would say, like, you kind of find the process that works for you. Um, you know, you can ask other people, like, what do you do? How do you deal with this? What do you do with, like, writer's block? How do you deal with deadlines? Uh, how do you get yourself in the right headspace to create all of those things? But at the end of the day, like, it's your own kind of process that works and your own kind of like creative, mm-hmm. like that's, that's what's going to work for you. There's no right or wrong way to do it. It's, it's about finding a way that works for you and gets you results that you're happy with. And like, then making sure it is like healthy and sustainable. I mean, like that's the th- one of the things that, and I'm, I'm really glad just like mental health awareness is improving in creative fields because like I think that there was a time where process was often comorbid with self-destruction of yeah. just like I can only create if I'm drunk. I can only create if I'm, you know, on drugs. I can only create if I'm depressed. I can only create, yeah. you know, in my manic episodes and these kinds of things where I think that what I and I don't know that I'm not a mental health professional. Uh, so take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. But if if what is true for me is true for a lot of people, then like I can see why people often think like their created creativity and self-destruction go hand in hand. Right. Because a lot of it, I think, comes from the same place. Right. Where like my creativity is a lot about is impulse. Right. It's about mm-hmm. impulse and like following 
is this interesting? Oh, now I'm having this idea. And oh, my creativity, my overactive imagination, all these things, right? And I could see where that impulse feels similar to like, I want to go, you know, I love gambling and I drinking and oh, this would be fun. Let's do this. Let's party all the time, right? But it's it's finding ways to access the positives of of yourself, of your personality without assuming that that also means you have to access the negatives. Um, I have one thing before I want to, you know, I'll let you go. I'll release you into the wild. Ah. Um, but before we get to the last thing, um, is there anything you want to add to that you haven't said that you'd like to say? I want to give you this opportunity. To do uh, that. If, if you have the opportunity and not everybody has the means, but if you have the opportunity to like talk to a therapist or a counselor or a trained professional, talk to a friend is great too. talk to a friend, but a trained professional uh, has insight. There's, you know, the national suicide hotline. Uh, there's uh, hotlines. There's people all over the place. Uh, if you have the opportunity to talk to them, please do. Uh, it, it might save your life or the life of someone you know, or just make your life better. It might save your life in a very metaphorical way or a very literal way. But talking to someone is always a way to go. And if you have mm -hmm. a friend who talks to you and says, hey, I think you should maybe reconsider this way you've been acting, really take that to heart uh, and really listen to them and don't immediately jump to defensive and dismissive because they're your friend and they love you and they want what's best for you. And so if they're coming to you and saying like, hey, I think maybe you need to take stock of this thing and maybe reconsider. Thank you so much for doing this again. And it was great talking to you and I hope to do it again sometime moderately soon. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs>